going to look at four Christmas carols over the next few services. <clears throat> and they're from the Bible. There are four songs in the Bible uh, that deal with Christmas. The first one that we're going to look at this morning uh, is the song of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah... Uh, you, you, you know from your Bible there's a book called the book of Zechariah. That's not, we're not talking about him. Zechariah was a priest uh, in the <clears throat> temple uh, before the birth of Jesus. In fact, he's the father of John the Baptist. Right? <laughs> That's Zechariah that we're going to uh, talk about. And then there's the song of Mary when she is told uh, <clears throat> what's going to happen to her, that she's going to have a baby. Then it's the song of Simeon. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, the song of the angels comes after that. Uh, and then there's the song of Simeon. So four different songs that are written. And music is kind of part of who we are and what we are. And in times of high emotion, very meaningful times to us, we sing. And that's what these people did. Uh, they sang because of those times. And the, the, the song of Zechariah that we're going to look at today is a very Jewish view of Christmas. You see, we take the whole Christmas uh, thing as being Christian and the baby in the manger and all the rest of it's all ours, and, 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 and it really is. But it happened in a Jewish context. It happened in the context of Israel. It happened in the context of a people who were God's people. Uh, it happened in fulfillment uh, of prophecy that was theirs, re really, and theirs alone. Uh, it happened to a people, and... Zechariah looks at it very much from that perspective. So what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to get a pre-Christian view of Christmas, uh, if you like, uh, if that's possible this morning. And, and I think it'll be really helpful to us as well as we look at it. Let's read our text and then we will have a word of prayer. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 79, if you have your Bibles. If not, I will read it to you, all right? <laughs> And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy performed to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware unto our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. That's speaking of John the Baptist. Thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Add us pray. Father, would you bless your word to us, Lord? We do thank you for the songs that are in the Bible, Lord, for the celebration of great truth and a great blessing that we see. And Lord, for this one, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for John the Baptist, but Lord, we thank you more that he was the forerunner of the one that was going to come. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And thank you for sending a Savior, because Lord, we so desperately needed a Savior. And Lord, we do ask you now, Lord, as we enter into this Christmas season and as we come uh, close to Christmas, Lord, would you bless, would you work in our hearts, Lord, would you draw us close to you, Lord, and, and, and may the tinsel and the lights be fun, but oh, Lord, may the reality of Christmas be you and what we have in you. Bless us now, we pray, in Jesus' precious name, 
Amen. Zechariah was a priest in the temple. He was a godly man, and his wife Elizabeth, she was a godly woman, and they were older, and they had no child. And Zechariah was in the temple uh, offering incense. He was one of the priests, and an angel spoke to him and told him that his wife was going to have a baby. Well, Zechariah has a problem with that because, you know what, she's old and he's old and he doesn't think it's possible. And so he, 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 he doesn't exactly say, yeah, no way, but he kind of, how's that going to be? We're both old. And the angel says, well, God says it's going to be, and because you didn't believe it, you're going to be struck dumb. And so Zechariah comes out from offering incense, and he can't speak. And everybody knew by the way he was shaken that he, he had seen a vision of, uh, of something or other. And um, so he goes home, and sure enough, his wife conceives a baby. And when the baby is born, uh, they decide that they're going to name this baby Zechariah after his father. And, and his wife says no, because Zechariah has explained to her, written to her, whatever, uh, and let her know the baby's name was to be John, because the angel had told him that the baby's name would be John. And um, so Zechariah takes uh, um, a, a chalkboard or whatever, and he writes on it, his name is John. And this is John the Baptist. He's the forerunner. He's the one who's sent to prepare the way for his cousin, Jesus. And Zacharias is is the father of him. And Zacharias immediately after that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we've just read is a song that he sung for them. And we're going to go through the song and we're going to to glean truth from it that actually helps us uh, in this day and age. And the first thought that we're going to look at and the main theme of his song is just this, God has visited us. Right? Uh, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed uh, his people. See, the theme of it is just that fact that God has visited us. The nation of Israel, above all nations, were a nation that depended on the reality of the presence of God uh, for their being, you might speak. In Exodus chapter 3, God comes down. He says this, he, he, he says, I have seen the affliction of my people, Israel, I have heard their cry, and I am come down. Same kind of a picture as we're getting here, uh, where he has visited, he visited them, but he came down, uh, he destroyed Egypt, and through Moses, he led the nation of Israel out. And in Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, the nation of Israel have offended greatly against God. They worship the golden calf, and, and God is ready to destroy them. And Moses pleads with them, and God says, okay, uh, I will not destroy them. <clears throat> and then God says, but listen, you're a stiff-necked people. I'm not going to walk with you anymore. I'm, I'm going to send an angel to go with you. And Moses uh, pleads with God, no, don't do that. And one of the arguments Moses uses is this. He says, how else shall it be known that we're your people if you're not with us? Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? The nation of Israel, everybody knew the special thing about the nation of Israel was Jehovah God. Their God was with them. And when their God decided to do something, he could destroy a nation, he could open the Red Sea, uh, he could do whatever he wanted to do. And the nation of Israel, our whole claim to fame was the fact that God was with them. We see in the time of Zechariah, 
it would be hard to know that God was with them. Oh, yes, they had a temple, and yes, they had rituals, and yes, they did all the things, but God hadn't spoken to them now for 400 long years. Fathers had had children. The children had buried their fathers. And, uh, uh, the children had, had their children. Their, those children had buried their fathers for 400 long years. There was no communication from heaven. This people whose identity was centered on the fact that God was with them. Hadn't heard from him. He was silent. He was quiet. Now they had promises. But 400 years is a long time, isn't it? But they had been promised a Messiah. Way back from the time of Abraham, they had been promised a Messiah. And, and, but 400 years? Surely it was, surely it was too long. You know, no one really took them seriously when they said a Messiah was coming. They, they, they had now become a Roman province and uh, all their glory was gone. The glory of David's ancient history. The glory of Solomon is ancient history now. They've been out of the land and they're back in the land, but they're just a caricature of what they used to be. And they're saying, but, but, but a Messiah is coming. And people are saying, yeah, when? Really, this, this great people that have these promises, yeah, 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 really. And, I, and I'm sure many of them were feeling that. I'm sure many were feeling, you know, well, you know what, this is, this is a long time ago. We haven't seen anything of this now for such a long time. We haven't heard from God. We haven't seen from God. Uh, we haven't seen anything of God. And, and um, they, they were a people without an identity. They, 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 they were just a, a backwash, a, a Roman province, a nothing and a nobody. And then the angel came and told Zechariah, you're going to have a baby. And your baby's going to be the forerunner. He's going to be one that's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Your, your baby's going to be the one that's actually going to uh, begin the fulfillment of the prophecy. And Zechariah is thrilled. When the baby's born and his unbelief is dealt with, he is thrilled, he is excited. This baby is going to come, it's going to change everything. You know, I couldn't help when I was studying for this, but think this. You know, here we are. <clears throat> We're the people of God. And Jesus made a promise when he went back, didn't he? He said, he said fear not. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be where I am, take you with me to be where I am. And you know, I think the church is suffering from a bit of an identity crisis in the same way as Israel was at that time. 2,000 years 2,000 years since the first Christmas? 2,000 years since he promised that he would come back again for us and we're still here? And generation after generation of believers has lived and died and gone. And, and we're thinking, he's coming back? And yet if you look at the New Testament, you know, just in the same way as Israel was living on the promise of the Messiah... The New Testament church is supposed to live on the promise of his return. We're supposed to live 
waiting for his return. We're supposed to live waiting for the any moment return of our Savior to take us with him, to be with us, him in heaven. It's very easy times like this. Christmas time. When times are good and people are enjoying themselves and they've got all kinds of nice things going on. It's very easy to forget the fact, you know what, we're not staying. Well, it was never planned that we would stay. We're just passing through. <clears throat> He's coming back for us. He could come today. You might never get to eat that turkey that's been ordered. <clears throat> You might never get to give those Christmas presents or receive those Christmas presents. He's coming back. That's the plan for us. And we need to remember, you know, 400 years, it was almost forgotten. It was almost, you know what, yeah, there's a promise way back there. There's a promise, but you know what, we haven't seen, we haven't heard. and, and, And then all of a sudden, God breaks through the silence and says, Now. And that's what he'll do when he comes for us. He'll just break through the silence and he'll say, Now. It's time. And we need to keep that in mind. We need to remember over Christmas time, you know, listen, he could come back for us any time. We need to remember that those people that we see and that are not saved, oh, listen, if you can reach out to them with the gospel, if you can give them a tract, if you can speak a word to help them to understand that Jesus loves them and wants them to get saved, don't miss the opportunity because you don't know you're going to get it again. You're sending a card. Listen, put a tract in it. You say they might be offended. They might be offended. They, they, they probably will be offended, some of them at least, but you know what? Somebody might read that tract and get saved because he's coming back. He's coming back for us. And I don't know about you, but one of the great regrets I imagine when he comes back, I think probably the only regret would be, but what about those that are left behind? What about those that are still there? You see, it's 2,000 years. But just like he kept his promise the first time, he will keep his promise this time. He's coming back. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye we'll be gone out of this place and it'll be over and we'll be very happy in that day you, you won't be, listen, you won't be longing for turkey I'll tell you that you'll be going to a marriage supper and I'll tell you it'll be the best supper that you've ever had and you're, you're going to be with the Lord Jesus forever you know, you, you, you won't be in any way regretting what's down here but why we're here we need to make a count as far as speaking to other people we need to make a count <clears throat> But anyway, um, so God visited them. God came and God, God, God spoke to them and, and, and told Zechariah, you're going to have a son and your son's going to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus and, and, and it's all about to happen, Zechariah. And Zechariah explodes in song. And then he says that God has provided salvation. <clears throat> Luke 1.69 And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now there's two ways that the Jews would have looked at this idea of salvation. Obviously they were a people that were oppressed now. They were under the thumb of Rome. And Rome made sure that everybody stayed under thumb. And the Jews were always a problem for the Romans so they were pretty harsh with them. They were difficult people to manage. 
See, there were people with an identity that was bigger than the identity of Rome. And so these people were hard to manage because they, 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 they would get above themselves as far as Rome was concerned. So, so they're under the thumb of Rome and then they hate it. They hate it. This proud nation, this people of God, this uh, descendants of David and descendants of Solomon, they hate the fact that they are under uh, the thumb of Rome. And when they talk about being saved, that's what they're thinking. This is our immediate problem. We're going to get saved from our immediate problem. Now, it's true, and God did save them from their immediate problem, or will save them from their immediate problem, but it wasn't going to be right then. Some things were going to play out in the whole situation that they really couldn't have foreseen very clearly from the Old Testament scripture. You see, Jesus was a king. And he came as a king. He was the king of glory and the Lord of lords and and the king of heaven. And he came to earth as a king. But he came in the oddest way. He was born to a humble family and he was laid in a manger. And there was nothing special about him that we should desire him, Isaiah says. This king came... And what he did was, he came to his own people, asking them to trust him. Asking them to believe on him. And as many as believed on him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. But most didn't. Most rejected him. And ultimately, because he got in the way, because they had religion and he was wrecking their religion. And because they had their system and he was wrecking their system and he was turning the people away from them, they crucified their king. In fact, they didn't crucify him. They handed him over to the Romans. The Savior, the one that was sent to save, was turned over to the Romans to be crucified. And so it wasn't going to be the salvation that they thought it was. It was a different kind of salvation. And then what happened is that because they rejected the Savior, do you know what God did? God turned to us, the Gentiles. And and God gave the Savior to us. And we're this, the church is this Apprentices, this this space between uh, Jesus coming and the fulfillment of the prophecy, in other words, him becoming the king. And that's where we live right now. We live in this glorious apprentices, this glorious day of grace, this, this day when God has actually thrown the doors open to the Gentiles. And let me remind you that being a Gentile to the Jews uh, w- was not a nice term. Remember, we were dogs. But you know what? He's taking the Gentiles, the dogs. And when we believe on him, he's made us his sons. He's taken us into his bosom. He's given us a home in heaven. uh, And he's given us a relationship with him that many of the Jews can only dream about. Because they reject it. I wonder this morning, have you come to that place where you've made him your savior, where you've received Jesus Christ, the son as your own Savior? Have you come to that place where this salvation is yours? I'm not talking about the salvation the Jews were told. It's not the salvation from your problems and your difficulties and and the issues. Uh, It's the salvation that's forgiven your sins. 
You see, here's the thing. When Jesus came to visit, and he, and he uses a particular term in, in um, the first point there when he talks about visiting, and it's the term that comes and gets involved. He came and he got involved. You see, when Jesus came, he didn't come to yell and doesn't tell us to do better. He, he didn't come to see how we were doing. He came down to save us. Why? Because we were in trouble. We were in a place of difficulty. We, we had no way out and no hope and no way of fixing our situation ourselves. He came to deliver us. He didn't come to tell you to get yourself together and sort it out and get right and do right. He knew we weren't able. He didn't come to tell us to keep the law. He came to deliver us from sin and from self and from hell. He came to deliver us, and if you let him, that's exactly what he wants to do in your life today. He wants to forgive you your sins because of what Jesus did. He wants to give you a home in heaven and a relationship with him. And you say, what, what's the catch? What's the price? There is none. He paid it all. For you and I, there's no price. Let's come to the place where we trust him. You see, he offered the simplicity of trusting to the nation, and they said, no, we have our religion and you're messing it up. And so he turned and he said, well, okay, what about you? I'll offer it to you. Do you want it? What do we have to do? Just believe. Just trust that I am the Savior, that I came to save you. Just trust. <clears throat> are, you, are you willing to do that? And as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to as many as believed on his name. And if you're a son of God today, a child of God, uh, you are a child of God because you trusted in his name. It's not because you're good. It's not because you got it together. It's not because you know your religion. It's because you believed on his name. And if you're not today, it's not because you're bad, and it's not because you don't do the right things, and it's not, it's because you haven't come to the place where you've believed on his name. And if you will trust him, he will come in, and he changes everything. Because he didn't come for a visit in the sense we so often use a visit. He came because we were in trouble. He came because we needed him to come. And when you let him in, all that power gets released in your life. And he does what man cannot do. See, he came to give us a horn of salvation. Also, though, this song <clears throat> talks about the fact that God kept his promise. Uh, Luke 170, And as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began... See, isn't the contention always for us, well, God's promised he's going to do it, but we haven't seen it yet? Isn't that always the thing? Isn't that always the deal for you? Well, I know I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, but it hasn't happened yet because I haven't gone to heaven yet. And, and you deal with God in prayer over something, and, and God says he's going to do it, and you know he's going to do it, but it hasn't happened yet. And, and, you know, don't we get weary waiting? And doesn't it get foggy for us? And don't we begin to question the promises but we begin to wonder if maybe we heard it wrong maybe we got it wrong 
maybe he's not going to do what he said he would do in our lives. Don't we begin to wonder and we begin to question? And ultimately the answer to our wondering and our question is, here's the answer, I've done it. And God always delivers the answer. Eventually. You see, God's promises had been to the nation of Israel from, from way back. They had promises uh, by the prophets. The prophets spoke again and again about the fact that a Messiah was coming. They told them again and again there was a Messiah coming. There was one coming. Uh, the son of David that was coming. Uh, uh, it was something that uh, everybody knew and everybody cherished and everybody loved this idea that the Messiah was coming. And it was something that was guaranteed way back as far as Abraham had been promised. In fact, you can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 and you'll find there the promise, the first promise of a Savior, one that would, one that would defeat Satan as promised in Genesis 3 verse 15. But it's been long. It's been long. And his people felt like they were forgotten. They, they felt like they had been forgotten. And... <clears throat> And they, they, they were doing. You know, Israel, the, the Jews, they were doing. They were doing their religion. They were keeping it together. They had their rabbis. They had their temple. They, they were doing and doing and doing and doing, but longing for the reality of it. When is that where you are this morning? When are you longing for the reality of God to touch your life? You know, it's not wrong for you and I to long for that. It's not lo- wrong for you and I to long for the touch from heaven that changes everything, that makes everything different. It's not wrong for us to long for that. I, I, I think what happens is that when a long time goes between us and hearing from God, we, we, we do. We, we get to the place where we feel, no, no, hang on, I mean, I, sh- I, 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 I should just do it. And, and, and we kind of take over. And Israel, when Jesus came, were going through the motions. They were going through the motions with extraordinary effort and detail. But they were going through the motions. You know, they, they, they had religion. And, you know, the, the difference between religion and relationship is, you know, you don't have to have the other person's presence for religion. You just do it because it's the right thing. I wonder how your Christianity kind of come down to that place where you're just doing the right thing. Where you're doing the right thing because it's right. Because let me tell you, it won't last. We're not good at that. We never have been good at that. Look through the ages, the different dispensations, Israel itself. You know what? They, 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 they ended up departing from God. They ended up going their own way and doing their own thing religiously, if you like. They, they ended up getting lost in their self-righteousness. And you know, you and I can do that too. And do you know the only thing that changes that? The only thing that changes it from self-righteousness to His righteousness is His touch. 
That moment when you open your Bible and God speaks in, inside you go, thank you, Lord. That moment when the word of God cuts through the darkness and illuminates something for you. And God speaks to you. And God says, this is for you, child. Oh, we need that. We can't do without him. We can't live without him. We can't do religion. We've never been good at that. We need him to speak. We need his touch. We need the reality of his presence. We'd open the Bible in the morning and talk to him. And hear him talk to us. It needs to be real. Do you think that's asking too much? Or do you think that's not exactly what he wants for you? See, we're different from all the other ages that God dealt with children. Israel were his children. But you know, they didn't have what you and I have. God said this. He said, I will put my spirit in them. I will dwell with them. And they shall be my people and I shall be their God. And your, your New Testament is, is, is full of, of, of pictures of, of, of that kind of relationship. Walk in the Spirit. Abide in Christ. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's full of those truths. Romans chapter 6, where, where we're given a new identity. We're in Christ. It's full of those pictures of the reality of God. God wants to be real for you. God wants you to enjoy relationship with Him. God doesn't want you to go through Christmas, you know, getting your jollies from the things that are going to happen over Christmas. God wants you to get your jollies from Him. Oh, listen, you can have all the gifts, and you can give all the gifts, and you can eat all the turkey, because every good gift comes down from the Father of Lights. But if that becomes your center, and not Him, you're going to miss out on Christmas. In fact, you're going to miss out on the real joys of life. Because that's what God wants for you. He wants you to enjoy Him. He wants you to know Him. And you see, they felt like God had forgotten them. And then when God spoke to Zechariah and said, I'm coming, it was all changed. His presence changes everything and always does. His presence is... What you're guaranteed, what you're promised, if you will. You know, the Bible says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Do you want it? Do you want him? Do you want that touch? Do you want that reality of life? Draw nigh to him. Just draw nigh to him. Get, Get some grit in your soul and say, Lord, I want you. I want that sweetness. I want that relationship. I want to walk with you. I want to enjoy you. Get some determination in your soul and seek him and you will find that he will come to that party. Well, he may not come to the party where you want him to bless this and do that and, and go. He, he may, but I'll tell you what, he always comes to the party where you say, I want you. Oh, he'll, listen, he'll test you and he'll work in you and he'll change you, but he'll come. And I'll stay as long as you want him to stay. See, Israel didn't have what you had. But Zechariah had a moment when God said, I'm coming, and Zechariah rejoiced in it. 
And then <clears throat> we can serve him in holiness and righteousness without fear. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of the enemies of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. His coming will produce emotional transformation. You see, the nation of Israel lived in fear. They had a long list of rules they had to keep. And they had to work at keeping those rules. And when it came to the Sabbath day, you know, you had to be in before sundown on the Saturday, on the Friday, because it, it was the Sabbath day, and you had to be home, and you had to do all these things and on time. And they lived with this rigid set of rules that was given to them by God. And they lived in fear. And they didn't know the forgiveness that you and I, that's complete. And they didn't know that Jesus would say, it's finished. It's over. They didn't know that. They knew they couldn't do it themselves. And they, they looked forward to what he was going to do. But they, they didn't have what you and I have. He came that we could serve him without fear. You know, that changes everything. That changes everything. Everything. Serving him without fear. I'm in. I'm family. I'm not getting shoved out in the cold and I'm never going to hell. I'm in. I'm family and so are you if you're born again. You're in. You're family. You have nothing to fear from dad. You have everything to, to enjoy and everything to delight in when you walk with him. But you've got nothing to fear from dad. He doesn't want to hurt you. You say, well, do you mean to say that he won't chase me? Oh, he'll chase him, all right. But it's not for the purpose of hurting you. It's not for the purpose of striking fear in your heart. It's for the purpose of drawing you back to him. He'll let life get difficult. But you're in. Different day. Different age. Why would you go away from that? Why would you leave the bosom of your family? the love of your father and go and try and find your phone somewhere else. Wouldn't that be absolute foolishness? And yet that's so often what believers do. They walk away and go, go to find it somewhere else. You're never going to find it. I mean, <clears throat> two reasons. First of all, how could anything be better than him? And secondly, since he made and controls the world, do you really think he's going to let you find, out, find something out there that's better than him? Do you really think he's going to let you find something in this world that satisfies the part of you that only he can satisfy? It's never going to happen. You see, <clears throat> he wants you to serve him without fear. <clears throat> He wants to serve you to serve him in holiness and righteousness. He wants you to live a righteous life. And yes, I knew there had to, I knew there had to be a price tag on this. I, I knew there had to be a kick to it. Well, now hold on a minute. Let's think about this, right? The Bible says that sin is fun. It talks about the pleasures of sin. But there's another part to it, isn't it? The pleasures of sin for a season. It's short-lived. But there's pleasure in sin. We're not dopes. We wouldn't do it if there wasn't fun involved in it. 
Right? There's pleasure in sin uh, for a season. But it also tells us other things about sin. It says the wages of sin is death. It says sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And it brings darkness and awfulness into our lives. And really, you know, if I ask you on a Sunday morning, you know, is sin your friend? You're all going to say, no, it's not my friend. Do, do, do I want it sometimes? Do I sometimes get drawn into it? Yeah, but it's not my friend. It always does me wrong. Do you know that God came to transform you so that you could live a different kind of life? God came to change everything. That baby in the manger changes it all. That baby in the manger was going to not only defeat sin so that you were forgiven, but defeat sin so that it would no longer have dominion or power over you. That baby in the manger was going to change everything completely. And God wants you to know, listen, you can serve me now. You can serve me without fear. You don't have to, listen, that's broken down. And, and you can serve me in holiness and righteousness. You, you can serve me in a different way. And then there's the spiritual transformation. The fact that we want to serve him. And you know, in as much as your sin nature, the old you wants to serve sin. Do you know that the new you wants to serve God? Yeah, that's just your new nature. And you say, hang on a minute, I'm not sure uh, that's quite true because the, the, the pull for sin uh, is pretty huge in me. I get that. I understand that. I understand that there's, kind of a, <clears throat> that, that, that there's a changing and a growing here. But do you know that the child of God is never happy unless they're serving God? And after a while you begin to know that. Because you can live in the world, you can enjoy the world, you can um, have the fun of the world, but you got that empty gnawing that it leaves that you're just not satisfied. It's kind of like McDonald's for me. I mean, I can eat McDonald's, you know, but an hour later I feel like, man, <clears throat> that tasted good, but you know what? I need a dinner. <clears throat> and that's the way the world is. It doesn't satisfy it, it, it doesn't get it for you. It, it can't. You see, because God made you a new creature. And the new creature wants to serve him. The new you wants to serve him. The new you only finds sweetness and blessing in serving him. But now, now get it. He, he's not saying, you know, he, he's not imposing a, a, another Old Testament on you. All right, so now here's the deal. The deal is I have come and you have to serve me. The deal is I have come and you have to serve me in righteousness. He's not doing that to you. What he did was he changed you on the inside. And he wants you to live the change, if you like. He wants you to actually begin to let the reality of what he has done, he has done work its way out in your life. I don't fear him anymore. He's dad. He loves me. <clears throat> and he's, he's given me righteousness. He's given me power to live a righteous life. He's given me a desire to serve him. I want to serve him. I want to live for him. I know 
I realize there's an enemy, and I realize there's difficulties and so on. But, you know, everything changed because of Christmas. Everything changed. It's, 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 a, it's a different world because of Christmas. It'll, it'll never be the same. It's 2018. 2018 from what? From Jesus. It's had that huge mark on, on the world. Every, everything has changed since that day. And you know, for, for you and I, everything has changed. Don't, don't let the old you dominate your life. Don't, don't give it that kind of space. Don't give it that kind of credibility. Don't let the old you dominate your life. Live the reality of what Jesus did for you when he came. Let the Spirit have his way in your life. Let that new creature have its head. And you'll find there's no fear anymore. There's a righteousness that you didn't think was possible. And there's a desire to serve him and to live for him. See, there's nothing out there that's better than what he's offered us. When Jesus came, everything changed. He came so that we, we who were lost in sin might be lifted up to the service of God. He came so that we who served another master might serve God our creator. He came so that we who feared death might serve God free from fear forever. He came so that we who lived in fear of punishment might be so completely forgiven that we would never fear punishment again. He came so that we who were idle in the marketplace of life might be given a new purpose in life. He came so that we who once did not please God might be pleasing to him forever. He came so that we who were unholy might be holy. He came